Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Here, everybody. Welcome in to this week's episode of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. My name is Tyler Mon, alongside Sam Dykstra, not physically, but in spirit. Hello, Sam. Hello. Yeah, it is too bad. We are in different cities. Um, we, are, we are beginning 2019 as we ended 2018. Uh, but that doesn't mean there's a bunch of new, fun, exciting things to talk about. And it, it does feel like baseball. That's one of the things I appreciate. I realized in the last couple of days is that we kind of go from retrospective about 2018 once the new year flips, like we really can look forward to 2019 because the season is around the corner in ways other sports can't. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like football is just going into its playoffs and it's always right. weird of did they win the 2018 Super Bowl or the 2019 Super Bowl? Um, you know, baseball and hockey are st- they're at the midpoint of their season, which is great, but they can't look back in the similar way that baseball can. So kind of appreciative of that, of how we. We're going to do this here in a little bit, but how we get to look forward now, literally, uh, now that the the calendar is flipped. Very philosophical, Sam. Very philosophical. Yes, this is what I think about in my quiet this time. This week's episode of the show before the show. Uh, so thanks for joining us wherever you found us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, elsewhere. You can uh, give us a rating and a review and a subscription. You can get in touch with the show, podcast at MILB.com. Uh, for those of you who work in minor league front offices, uh, especially in the promo department, uh, stay tuned for our segment with Ben because you may well want to get in touch with podcast at MILB.com. Just saying. Um, and uh, with that, let's, uh, we'll get started. Uh, Every week on this show, we do a segment called Three Strikes in which we dive into three pressing issues across minor league baseball. And uh, strike one this week, we're going to kick off the new year with some new year themed discussion. And we're going to get some uh, resolutions on the 2019 outlook. Uh, First for American League Farm System, Sam, give us what you got. Yeah, so for this one, um, this kind of comes from news that actually broke this week, actually yesterday, um, we are doing this a little differently today. You're, if you're hearing us on Friday, um, yeah, we're coming out a day late just because of the way the holidays worked and all that kind of stuff. So this news broke on Wednesday. We're recording on Thursday. Um, but the Orioles have hired uh, somebody to run their international scouting department, uh, and that's Kobe Perez. 
he comes from, you know, he's got a background with the Phillies. He's got a background with the Indians. He's, you know, helped lead uh, international scouting for those clubs before. Um, he worked in amateur scouting with Cleveland, uh, then moved on to Latin American scouting. So this is somebody who has a deep background here, good candidate to kind of take over for the Orioles. But what makes this interesting to me in, in terms of resolution is for years we've been talking about how the Orioles need to get involved in the international market market they you know under dan duquette it's something they basically refused to do um they weren't spending big money on international prospects instead of instead you know they would look to trade for them something like that using the ldas for instance now their top prospect uh was signed initially internationally by the dodgers acquired by the orioles uh in the manny machado deal so that's basically how they got international players in uh which you know it's a philosophy um orioles weren't very good last year can we make connections maybe loose ones at best but still if it's an opportunity to add talent to your system you need to take advantage of those opportunities uh and you know part of the reason why i think the orioles didn't do well last year is because their system wasn't that strong they didn't have the reinforcements when times went bad uh you know to replace some of these guys with major league ready or you know top prospects um so to, you know turning this around Michael Elias uh kind of made this announcement it, it seems like the Orioles are really going to go for it and uh, let me just read real quick what they wrote about um you know the hiring of Perez uh here was the team's official statement In Kobe Perez we have found the right person to spearhead the Orioles new international presence emphasis new my own uh his experience connections and reputation built across a fast rising career in multiple successful organizations will immediately elevate our capabilities in this critical market hiring kobe is a major first step in improving our footing in latin america we will continue to augment our operation until the baltimore orioles are leaders in recruiting and developing international players so what stood out to that about me is them saying the Baltimore Orioles are leaders. They really expect uh, to, you know, pour more resources into this and become a club that is going to build on building blocks of, you know, international prospects, which is huge. I hope they continue that. I hope they make big July 2nd sign. Obviously, the Orioles have the first overall pick in the draft this year. That's going to be a big help. But if they invest more money and invest in the right players that's how you do a rebuild Elias saw that with the Houston Astros so in terms of a resolution I think that's the biggest thing I'm going to be looking at in the AL come 2019 uh or come 2019 we're already here uh what are you looking at Tyler yeah, can you believe that we're already here uh get ready for a whole swath of podcasts of me saying can't believe it's already February <laughs> that's what I do every single time we have an episode um my uh my resolution is for the Minnesota Twins Organization. The Twins have gotten a, a couple of top prospects um, nearing the major leagues, uh, some that have graduated in recent years. Nick Gordon, we know, is getting close. Stephen Gonzalez has made his way there. Um, but they got a couple of guys making the climb right now who are as exciting, I think, as a one-two punch um, in minor league baseball And Royce Lewis and Alex Kirloff. They were both in Fort Myers for last season. Uh, Royce Lewis, of course, started out in Cedar Rapids with a good stretch there. Alex Kirloff did the same. Um, those two, as those guys climb together, that division, I feel like, is primed for, at some point, a return to the the power dynamic of the Twins and the Tigers, uh, and maybe, as we'll hear from a, a prospect in this system coming up here in just a little bit, the Kansas City Royals, Brady Singer, will join us here in a little while. Um, last year, that division was so weird and was so off. We've been waiting for the White Sox to take that big step forward. Maybe 2019 is the year for that. Uh, Cleveland has been the team to beat in that division for a little while. What does the future look like there for that organization? 
organization, but I like where the Twins are headed. I think the Twins have quietly put together a pretty good core, and I'm really interested to see where Royce Lewis and Alex Kirloff take themselves this year because I think if they have a good stretch of time in Chattanooga, and they're both still pretty young. I mean, Royce Lewis is going to enter this season at 19 years old, um, and Alex Kirloff will be just 21 he just turned 21 back in November. Um, but I still think that there's the possibility that, you know, maybe you see one of those guys push the envelope and, and knock on the door of the major leagues this year. I don't think we'll see a debut this year. But can those guys put themselves in position to make an impact following this 2019 season? Can they continue the success they had in 2018, put themselves on the map uh, as surefire major league contributors for 2020 on the strength of a good year this year? Um, that's a system that I feel like we don't talk about a ton but I think quietly has put itself um, in the mix of one of the maybe second tier uh, systems, third tier systems in minor league baseball with some of the top level talent that they've got. Um, Nick Gordon, what does Nick Gordon's future look like? Last year was so good at Chattanooga, went up to Rochester, played 99 games there, really, really scuffled at Rochester, only OPS 544 after OPSing 906 and 42 games at Chattanooga, but he's only 23. So does Nick Gordon finally finish things off? Um, it just seems like, you know, that organization – turning the page with the retirement of Joe Maurer, um, everybody else in that division not really being world beaters as of yet, um, but other systems building themselves and coming on. The Detroit Tigers have, it seems like, every pitching prospect in the American League almost is in that system. Uh, the White Sox have been collecting talent for so long and amassing a prospect group um, that's as good as maybe any in baseball, at least in terms of the last five years in total. Um, what do the Twins do? That's my, that's my resolution. It's kind of a, a random one but uh, for some reason that stuck with me coming into this year. I really like those two, Royce Lewis and Alex Kirloff. Right, and, and uh, you mentioned 2020 is a t- chance where they could really take off. Um, you know, they just signed Nelson Cruz. Right. Who is huge. Like, uh, if Nelson Cruz is somebody who should be signing, you know, if he's signing a one-year deal with an option for 2020, he should be signing with a contender. I think he can bring a good power bat to almost any team in the American League looking for, you know, that DH spot. Um, and the fact that he signed with the twins means he probably sees a little bit of that uh it, eddie rosario on that team max kepler byron buxton can he if he ever turns it around uh could be an absolute superstar miguel Sano, there's still some potential there you add in somebody like lewis you add in somebody like kirilov potentially at the end of 2019 early 2020 and that could very well be a very loaded team um you know with kind of homegrown stars built around a middle of the order bat like nelson cruz so you know they're they're starting to make the little things that like you said, that division is wide open and uh, they get somebody like Lewis and Kirilov to anchor that lineup uh, 2020 and beyond. That's going to be huge. So maybe we'll, we'll be talking about the twins like we did. I don't know, the Brett Radke days, the, the Tory Hunter days. That would be kind of cool. Brad Mackey, I always remember from this commercial uh, for World Series baseball for the Sega Genesis uh, in which he kept giving up home run after home run after home run in Cleveland, and they started doing a conga line around the bases. And I was like, why would anybody choose to star in this commercial? <laughs> Where you're it was actually him? Getting rocked. Yeah, it was actually him. Okay, Very it wasn't strange. like the uh, virtual version of him that he... No, I'm going to have to uh, try to find that again. No, it was like actually him, like throwing like real life pitches and then they would like you know cut in gameplay action this is back in the day before gameplay looked anywhere remotely close enough to just make the entire commercial out of gameplay for a video game so it was, yeah, right. it was like actually brad Racky just getting lit up in cleveland it was very strange i don't know why that he is chose to, i'm sure the money was why he chose to do it um yes. two this week we're just gonna flip this on its uh on its opposite on its polar and uh go to the national league uh national league resolutions for 2019 sam 
Yeah, so I brought up the Orioles in terms of international spending uh, for my AL resolutions. For my NL resolution, it's actually a farm system that did pretty well in international spending in 2018, um, but they need a lot more to keep coming uh, in 2019, and that's the Miami Marlins. Um, as things stand right now, the Marlins do not have a top 100 prospect. Um, they have a couple guys kind of on that cusp, Victor Victor Mesa, uh, who they signed out of Cuba this year. Yet to play a minor league game, but he's kind of right there. Maybe uh, Monte Harrison was a former top 100 prospect, had some real contact issues last year at Double A Jacksonville. Uh, but when everything is working from him for, for him, he has the chance to be a real five tool monster. Uh, Isan Diaz is right there as well. Sandy Alcantara still a prospect. Nick Nider. Um, but this is kind of like the Orioles. The Orioles are very much in a rebuild right now. The Marlins are entering year two of a rebuild. You know, if they trade JT Real Muto, yes, that's probably going to bring back uh, somebody who can really be the diamond of a, of a farm system. Uh, you know, Kyle Tucker was mentioned back in the time when Houston Astros were mentioned in a deal. The Braves uh, have been mentioned in the past as well. Tampa Bay Rays, all of those have kind of like a headline of a farm system type prospects to trade. Um, but you know, the Marlins need to build internally. Um, they've said they're going to do that. They obviously made that known last offseason when they traded Giancarlo Stanton and Christian Yelich, the, now the last two MVPs of the National League, uh, as well as Marcelo Zuna. Real Muto is the only one left. And, and you know, I hope they trade him before opening day um, just to bring some resolution to that, but also just buoy this farm system that, you know, there may not be a top 100 prospect. It's still a solid system. There's still some pieces to like here. Um, but it's nowhere near one that you can point to and say, see, this is how we're going to turn things around. It's these guys here. You need more depth here. You need more top level talent. It's just not quite there. So, uh, you know, again, they'll have the chance to kind of build through the draft this year as well. Um, get another chance to do that. Gary Denbo has, you know, had player development success with the Yankees in the past. Um, you know, this is year two for him. So maybe he'll get a chance to take some of the things he did last year and really solidify it with some of these players and we can see some of them take jumps um but we're just going to need to to have it's going to be the guys in the system right now are going to need to vastly improve and they're going to need to vastly improve through external sources whether it be trades the drafts the international market all of that um because if the marlins really want to you know stick to their schedule and be competitive uh, within the next three years, it's going to take a lot more work than the trades they've already made. Um, there's only one major league asset really left for them to trade and get a big piece back. Um, so they need to pull the trigger on that and then, you know, just have more player development and successes. So we'll, we'll be following that pretty closely uh, this year. Hopefully by the middle of the season, uh, we can talk about a lot more top 100 prospects in Miami because, boy, do, will they sure need them. Uh, mine for the National League is for the San Diego Padres, and it is a simple resolution. Don't screw this up. Um, the, <laughs> I like the Padres, that a lot, The Padres That's have a full tenth of the top 100 prospects in baseball now. Um, uh, capping off at number 10 with Ryan Weathers, left-handed pitcher they took in the draft last year. Luis Patino, a right-hander, is their number nine. Logan Allen, lefty, is number eight. Michelle Baez, a right-hander, is number seven. Adrian Morajone, a left-hander, is number six. Chris Paddock, a right-hander, is number five. Then it's middle infielder Luis Arias at number four. Catcher slash outfielder Francisco Mejia at number three. Left-hander Mackenzie Gore at number two. And Fernando Tatis Jr., my personal prospect crush, at number one. Um, somebody in the National League West needs to 
bring an end to the Los Angeles Dodgers reign of dominance in the division and the team that I think is best positioned to do that is the San Diego Padres and it's in large part due to the fact that a lot of these guys are very very close Fernando Tatis Jr. we should see in the major leagues at some point this year Francisco Mejia we already have Luis Arias we already have Um, Logan Allen is somebody who can make an impact this year if Logan Allen continues to have the success that he had last year 25 combined games between double A and triple A and an ERA of 2.54 they are just so so loaded and you look at some of the guys that have sort of slipped out of the conversation a little bit Cal Quantrill who was a first round pick back in 2016 Cal Quantrill had a good stay at AAA El Paso last year to end his season maybe he's somebody who can make an impact Anderson Espinosa missed the whole year um, last year with injury with Tommy John surgery Um, he probably won't be back this year until late in the season if at all but still somebody with a tremendously high ceiling and he's still only 20 years old Um, Buddy Reed friend of the podcast Buddy Reed a fantastic year last year especially with Class A advanced like Elsinore Um, Jacob Knicks, who we saw last season make uh, just 10 appearances, but a guy who has a ceiling as high as maybe not anybody in that system, but still a pretty high ceiling third round pick back in 2015 I mean there are names at the back end of this system that would be top 10 prospects anywhere else and for the Padres it's just (sighs) recent history for the Padres I think has been uh, rough to say the least when the Padres went all in tried to purchase everybody that they could went out and acquired you know the the Matt Kemp year and uh everybody else they brought in uh the Uptons and in that whole uh fiasco in which they just tried to piece together a, a high-priced um Hollywood contending team outside of Hollywood uh that didn't work and then AJ Preller decided to go back to the drawing board and do all the things that he did very well in Texas the things that got him his job and go on the amateur side and go on the international side um they have built a formidable system and uh at this stage it seems like all you got to do is let these guys go out and play and make the right decisions for where they go and win and that's all going to take care of itself with that collection of talent um but just don't screw it up (laughs) that's that's where i am with the san diego padres it's all there for you just just do everything to the best of your abilities right now because nobody has a collection of talent like this yeah no and i think they know that um you know having been to the winter meetings and sitting around Andy Green's kind of media availability. And a good 40% of the questions were about Fernando Tatis Jr. and Luis Arias um, and how that's going to kind of play out. And also about the catching situation with Austin Hedges and Francisco Mejia. Um, I think these are good questions to ask in turn. Like, to be at, if you were the organization, you want to be asked these questions. Like, how are you going to find playing time for all these young players? That's a good sign. Um, just make sure that they do actually get the the chance to grow and uh, don't get frustrated and don't you know we talked about the twins earlier uh, a couple of years ago we might have been saying this about them as well you know they had Byron Bucks and Miguel Snow who we thought would be the two biggest pieces of their lineup five years down the line and here we are now Buxton uh, you know has had several issues at the plate and injury issues as well and Miguel Snow has his own uh, bucket of problems so. You know, it, the the Padres have it all laid out in front of them. They just have to actually go and do it and trust these players and allow them to hit their ceilings. Because if a, of the ten we've mentioned, if four of them do, uh, that's crazy and that's great. And though that's a player development success story, um, so that'll be really fun to see what they can do this year. And hopefully, we get to see a lot of them in the majors, like you said. 
Strike three this week, Sam. Uh, the trade market has not stopped turning. It hasn't been a, an insane offseason as of yet, but at least there's been a little bit more action this year compared to last year. And uh, we saw a deal between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Cincinnati Reds, a blockbuster trade that sent big leaguers Yasiel Puig and Matt Kemp, among others, to Cincinnati. Um, and the Reds shipping some prospects to Los Angeles. Josiah Gray, a right-handed pitcher, and Jeter Downs, the 20th-ranked prospect in their organization, or the 7th-ranked prospect, Jeter Downs, 20th-ranked in Josiah Gray. Uh, shortstop Jeter Downs is probably the most notable guy for our purposes in this discussion. Um, there are a lot of player development people talent evaluators who are extremely high on Jeter Downs and the Dodgers able to land him in that package. Uh, give us your, I, I don't want to say gut reaction because it's about two weeks ago this trade went <laughs> down, but um, right. looking at this deal, how do you evaluate that? Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting to see the Dodgers be sellers in that way. Yeah. Um, and Or at least it will be until they sign Bryce Harper and then it'll all make sense. Right, well that's the thing is that we said that at the time, it's like, oh well this probably portends a big right. move and and it's been it two hasn't weeks, happened, and yeah, right. I mean, the holidays have come in between. I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, but yeah, to say like, oh, the the Dodgers added Jeter Downs to their system. They desperately needed that. It's like, no, they don't. They don't really like. They they need to be adding major league pieces, not necessarily shedding them like Yasiel Puig. Uh, if you're a Reds fan, I I would be excited by this. I mean, adding Puig to that team it feels like the reds are gearing up more to go for it than they have in a long time and you get rid of homer bailey's contract which must feel like a win for everybody in cincinnati um but you know a lot of these guys are becoming free agents next year uh you know i think alex wood will we will kemp will kyle farmer's the only one that they got back who's really controllable but he's not exactly a future piece for cincinnati uh, but in terms of prospects uh dodgers get jeter downs as you mentioned he becomes the seventh ranked prospect in a you know pretty good Dodger system right now uh you know he was taken in the 2017 draft he was taken 32nd overall in the collective uh or the competitive balance a round uh he has a chance to be a real above average hitter he was that last year in the uh class a midwest league with great lakes uh, he showed some good speed. He stole 37 bases. A lot of people don't expect him to be an absolute burner. I think that was a lot of him kind of picking his spots, but he also had 13 homers. Uh, he's got a good arm. He can be good with the glove. Uh, played a lot of second base last year, um, but it also you know, was drafted as a shortstop. Uh, for the Dodgers, you, know, you, you expect him, okay, that's the foundation. That's who he could be, a, a slightly above average hitter with a little bit of pop. Uh, more speed than we were expecting and a decent glove. Okay, how can we build on that? Um, so, you know, we'll see. He turned 20 in July, uh, so we'll go, be going into his age 20 season next year, uh, starting out in the Class A Advanced Rancho Cucamonga League. If he, or in, with Class A Advanced Rancho Cucamonga in the California League, excuse me. Uh, if he can really take off their show even more pop because he will be playing in the Cal League, which is hitter friendly, that would be a big win. Um, show him, show himself that he, can tap a little bit more into his power, uh, you know, but we'll kind of have to see how that shakes out. And then Josiah Gray, like I mentioned, you know, now the 16th overall pit, uh, prospect in the Dodgers system. He was a 2018 pick, really stood out this year, rookie level Greenville. Uh, that's Greenville with three E's, actually four E's, excuse me. There's the G-R-E-E-N-E-V-I-L-L-E. -E -E. Oh, yeah. Uh, the red system before that. He was the 72nd overall pick. Um, you know, he was came out of a Division two program, which is really interesting. A lot of people think he's still really raw because he played infield 
uh, initially in college. They made him into a pitcher, so he's still learning his craft. But even then, he put up a 2.58 ERA, struck out 59 batters, walked only 17 in 52 in the third innings uh, last year in the Appalachian League. So, you know, again, starting on a good foundation, has a good fastball, has an above-average slider. Uh, a little bit more moldable, I would say, than Jeter Downs is, which makes him even more exciting to add to this kind of Dodgers mix. Um, but, you know, what does this trade do for somebody like Alex Verdugo? I mean, hopefully it clears out an outfield spot. If they go off and, and sign uh, Bryce Harper, then that blocks Verdugo all over again. Uh, you know, this is a free Alex Verdugo podcast each week. Um, I would love to see him get a chance. Maybe it's going to come in another organization. But, hey, if they're trading away outfielders, that that portends good things for him. Uh, and I hope he gets his chances in Los Angeles. Um, so, you know, we'll see how this kind of shakes out. This felt at the time, like I said, like the start of something. And those other shoes haven't dropped yet. Uh, so kind of watch this space, see what else the Dodgers can kind of do here. Otherwise, it's just them shedding salary. Uh, and hopefully they're not just putting it back in the pockets of their owners. And that is three strikes for this week's episode, the first of 2019, the show before the show podcast. We're headed to the Kansas City Royals organization next and their first round draft pick from 2018. Brady Singer who joins the show uh, to look back on a pretty cool Christmas season for himself and his family and preview his first professional season coming up next. Our very first interview of the 2019 calendar year is a guy who's going to be making his professional debut on the field in 2019, and that is a new top prospect in the Kansas City Royals organization, Brady Singer, right-hander out of the University of Florida. Brady, welcome to the show, man. How's, uh, how are the holidays? We'll get to your holidays, obviously, but uh, holidays and, uh, and the new year started. How's uh, everything been going for you? Yeah, everything was good. You know, I had a, had a good Christmas, got to go back home for, um, you know, probably about a week or so, which, you know, home isn't too far. I'm living in Tampa so it's about an hour down the road but got to spend some time at you know the house like I said and had a great holiday with family well a lot of people got treated to a, a glimpse of your holiday on Christmas Day you posted a video uh, to social media in which you gave a, a really special gift to your parents and I don't want to describe it because I want to hear you describe it tell us what you gave your parents this year yeah so I surprised them which was the yeah, I kind of had to go you know behind my dad's back and parents back to get it done but <laughs> I uh, decided to pay off, um, you know, some of their debt, or actually all of their debt, and, you know, a loan from the bank that they owed. So, you know, surprising them with, you know, something like that, it was it's really cool because it, I kind of got to, you know, write them a letter and talk to them about, you know, all the things that they did over the years for me and, you know, all the sacrifices they made during, during, during the time to, you know, reach, you know, the goal that I had this year that, play professional baseball so just kind of reminding them everything they did and everything that they helped me with the reaction to that I mean that thing blew up immediately on social media and it was so cool to see it on Christmas day I think people you know are already in that mood where they're feeling uh warmed by people around them and then you see something as amazing as that what what was the the most meaningful thing to you about the way people reacted to that video yeah I think it you know I think it brought a lot of good you know back I feel like you know, a lot of people are talking about, you know, the bad stuff in the world just to, you know, kind of, kind of for people to put a smile on their face and, you know, especially like you said on Christmas, just to see, just to see the positive reaction that a lot of people had. And, you know, I really wanted to show, basically I wanted to show the younger kids and, you know, just always remember the people that got, that got you to where you were. So, um, 
yeah, I got the video out, and like you said, it kind of went it kind of went nuts, and then I had a lot of a lot of positive feedback, so that was really good to see. Yeah, and you mentioned you had to go behind your parents' back, especially your dad's back. Uh, how do you go about doing that? I mean, I, I can't imagine my parents ever sharing their financial situation with me, and then you go ahead and just like erase it completely from you know. I'm sure something they were worried about for a long time. Uh, how did yeah. you go about doing this and, and keeping it a secret? Yeah, the secret wasn't easy. Um, you know, I feel like as soon as my dad hears hears something about it, you know, he'd, he'd come and try to kill me. He's a <laughs> he's a big guy, and it's scary to go behind him. He is uh, he's not small. So, um, you know, it was it was really hard. But I, I got you know, I, I know a lot of their people, so I got to you know kind of call them and you know talk to them about it. So some people knew early, and you know they thought it was a great idea. And, you know, it was really cool to, you know, show them how much my parents mean to me. Yeah, and you, you mentioned in the video, and you mentioned it here as well, um, you know, it, it's a way to pay your parents back uh, for everything they had done and all the sacrifices they made. I think anybody who's ever gone through youth sports remembers, you know, whether it's the long drives to soccer camp or the, you know, going around to ice rinks or baseball diamonds across the country, um, what's one specific memory you have where you feel like your parents really, you know, dedicate a lot of their time and obviously effort and money, uh, to do something that helped you get where you are today? Yeah. One thing that kind of stood out to me was, you know, this past year was, you know, we, we figured that it would be my, um, university of Florida and they, you know, actually didn't miss an away game or miss a single game period. You know, if they had to, if they had to fly, um, somewhere, or even if it was, you know, a long drive. You know, we played at South Carolina and Tennessee and stuff like that this year. And, you know, coming from Florida, it's over, you know, somewhere around 10, 12 hours. So they actually drove all the way there just just to watch it. I mean, I've, I could have gone one inning of the game, could have got rained out, and I could have pitched. But they, you know, they still came and, like I said, just sacrificing everything just to do those sort of things. And it wasn't just this year. They did it, you know, my whole my whole baseball like you said, youth career and, you know, and travel ball and in college. There, there just wasn't game, many games that they, that they weren't at. Brady, when you look at, um, you know, where you are at this stage um, on the, the verge of getting into your professional career, going to the Royals last year in the first round of the Major League Baseball draft, and uh, now, unfortunately, I guess, um, from a certain standpoint, you're a Florida guy, you're going to go to Cactus League Spring Training, you don't get to just have the commute to Grapefruit League Spring Training because you get drafted by the Royals, but I'm sure yeah. that's a small price to pay. Um, now that you're you're getting close to it, um, you know, you go through the draft process, you go through that first year, not even a full year, um, but that first stretch of time in a professional organization now you got your first spring training you've got your first opening day assignment coming up um how excited are you the fact that we've turned that corner it is the new year and that's only i mean really six weeks away when you finally get it going in a a full-on context uh with pitchers and catchers reporting yeah so i was talking to somebody the other day and they said you know once christmas is here and the new year is here it's basically time for spring training so um i've had a you know really really good off season and I feel a lot better and I'm starting to throw now and everything's feeling good. So just to get out there and, you know, obviously get on the baseball field and wake up and know that your job is going to go into a baseball field and, you know, seeing all the guys that I met last year, you know, everybody's awesome teammates just to hang out with them. And my favorite thing is just to keep learning about the game. 
And you mentioned, uh, you know, you're starting to pitch now. What are, where are you right now in your kind of build up uh, to the season? What are you doing now to kind of prepare even for spring training? Yeah, I'm just, uh, you know, continuing to train every day. I uh, moved out of Tampa this past off season. So training down here and you know, there's a lot of good resources and, you know, I'm starting to stretch throwing out, you know, I'm working, working out into, you know, starting to be some long toss. So everything's feeling good and, feeling strong and I really am ready to go and take us through 2018 from a minor league standpoint because you didn't get to appear in any official games um after your time at Florida you know you had a pretty much full workout or workload uh there in your junior year with the Gators you know throwing 113 innings officially um but what were those discussions like with the Royals in terms of maybe getting you to an affiliate but at the end of the day deciding not to throw you into the, the fire quite yet yeah, I mean, we talked about it. I, I threw a lot of, you know, a lot of innings at Florida, and you know, over the over the spring, you know, I've thrown quite a bit. But looking at into the fall ball and stuff like that, throwing innings in the fall too. That, you know, I thought it was time to, you know, just take a break and kind of relax. But um, you know, continue to train and all that. And I actually went up to uh, um, over to Lexington, you know, where Loa where Aloe is and got to meet some of the guys, some of our prospects and um, watch some of those games for, you know, probably about seven days or 10 days. And then went out to Idaho to meet our, um, one of our pitching coaches out there, Jeff Supon, which was a huge help this, this, uh, you know, summer. I met, met him and learned you know, so much from him, which was really great. And then, you know, just out in Arizona and training and, you know, just, just kind of leave my arm alone, give it a rest. That's pretty cool. So you weren't in game action, but you got a chance to kind of experience the minor league atmosphere going to Lexington and, and Idaho Falls. That's That's got to be a pretty good, uh, at least somewhat of a foot in the door with what you can expect going into actual game mode one day, um, having been around it, even though you weren't necessarily on the mound. Yeah, absolutely. That was really cool. Like I said, just, just going out there and, you know, just getting in the atmosphere, like you said, and meeting meeting some of the guys that, you know, hopefully we, you know, play a lot of years together. And you mentioned throwing a lot of innings last year, uh, you know, at Florida. Obviously, it ended well with you going in the first round. You had been through the draft before. Uh, you were taken in the second round back in 2015, coming out of high school uh, by the Blue Jays, end up not signing. Uh, what was the difference in draft day experience for you this time versus the last time? Yeah, you know, this year I was I was a little bit more sure of kind of where I was going. You know, out of high school, we had – in that 2015 draft, we had so many prep righties coming out of high school that, you know, anybody could have gone anywhere. But, you know, this year I had a general idea where I was going, so it was a little bit less stress. And, you know, we were obviously playing a game during the draft, so I didn't have much time to think about the draft. We were uh, – I was cheering on, uh, you know, us to win. Brady, how stressful is that? You look at um... – basically any other professional sport and guys don't deal with that um when you're a, a college player and you're you know trying to get your team to the college world series you're playing right through draft day and you're you're focused on all these other things your future your you know a potential first round pick that means there's a sizable bonus coming with it are you going to negotiate are you going to sign you're going to go back to school all those things and oh by the way you're also trying to get your team to the college world series what's that experience like um you know being somebody who's a frontline guy at a major program fighting to get to omaha while also 
dealing with all that stuff in the back of your mind. If you're an NFL guy, season's been over for five months. You go to the combine, you get into the draft. It's just part of the process. But in baseball, that's, I mean, you're drinking out of a fire hose at that stage into June. What was that like? Yeah, the focus on that is huge. You know, I always, I always thought that the draft was going to take care of itself no matter what. You can't, I mean, you could impact it during the year. Just my main goal was to just go out there and win, you know, every Friday night, no matter how I had to do it. It was just, just to win games and, you know, for the younger guys out there, just relax and, you know, the draft will take care of itself and it's going to do what it's going to do. And, you know, you will have a shot at, you know, the ultimate goal is making a big league. So everybody will have a shot at making it. Um, if you're one of those, you know, frontline guys or even, you know, anybody realistically, everybody's, you know, usually has a shot and like I said, just relax and it, it will do what it, what it does. And what's a way you feel like you developed as a pitcher, you know, that junior year? You guys were coming off, you know, one of the best years in, in program history, obviously, in 2017. Um, you know, you, you win the College World Series as a sophomore. You're pitcher of the year as a junior. So what did you do at the, in the SEC, that is? Um, so what did you do differently or how did you feel like you developed, you know, at the right time of your career, basically going into the draft? Yeah, I think I studied a lot more. I studied hitters, and I kind of studied the game more of what to do in certain situations. My uh, my sophomore year, you know, you get into some situations or, um, you know, just watching hitters during the at-bat, um, I knew a lot more of what to do my junior year instead of my sophomore year. Um, and I developed I developed a change-up a little bit more this past, you know, in 2018 um, and, just, and just did some different variations with the fastball, throwing it up in the zone and stuff like that. So – just, you know, adding some different pitches, but also, you know, knowing the hitters that I'm facing. And do you think that led to some really impressive control numbers for you this year? I think you averaged under two walks per nine innings. Uh, yeah, 1.75. Um, that's really stellar at any level, uh, but especially pitching in, in, you know, a big conference for a big program like that. That was really good. Uh, how were you able to control the ball as well as you did last spring? Well, I know that you know, walking guys, it's just a free, a free 90 feet. And that's, I, like I said, in the studying part, it's, you know, I, I like to study, you know, kind of the, the guys that have, you know, had success with command of the ball and, you know, every big leader commands the ball, but, you know, guys like Maddox, just watching them, you know, manipulate the ball and control it and throw it exactly where they want to. And, you know, obviously watching some guys prior, you know, the guys that were before me in college, like, um, you know, Shore and, John Anderson and Dunning and all those guys. I learned a lot to, I learned a lot by commanding the ball and also solely, you know, didn't stop talking about it. Um, so I learned a lot from that. And, you know, I just kind of really, really thought about it this past year and I knew it would help me. Brady, we've had a handful of uh, your former college teammates and guys that have been um, your predecessors of Florida on the show, and obviously guys we've talked to a ton on the uh, for stories on the site. And to be part of that program, um, whenever we get guys out of big-time college programs, we always ask them about what it is about the culture at a given program that makes it so successful. You name all those guys who've gone before you, um, who have made it into you know top prospect status in the minors from Logan Shore and Dane Dunning and all these other guys who um, you know are right there on the verge now of cracking their way into a major league career, and you're kind of the next one in that line um what is that like being part of you know the pedigree of florida talent that's been churned out over the last several years and what is it about that program in gainesville that turns out so much top level talent yeah absolutely you know that that 2016 pitching staff was kind of unbelievable and you know looking back at some of those names they were just a they were all good pitchers um 
but they were also really good teachers as well. There was a, you know, in 2016 and 2017 as well, and 2018, all of the, all of those times that we always we always bounced ideas off each other. And you know, I think I, I don't think there was a better class that I could have learned from, you know, except that 2016 team. I learned from you know every single one of those guys. They were all juniors, and they were all, you know, in the SEC for so long. So every every year, there's you know one or two guys, or you know, if you're fortunate enough. You know, with more than that, there's always guys that you can learn from. Like, you know, last year, you know, just learning from Jackson and you know Dyson's there, and you know, you always you always just sit around and talk. You know, pitchers have some downtime, so you sit around and talk, and you bounce ideas, and you learn new pitches, and you think about setting up hitters and games and stuff like that. And, and Sully does a great job controlling the pitchers as well. And you know, there's so many things there at at Florida that you know, that you can learn from with video and stuff like that. So, but like I said, the main thing was we always, you know, kind of taught each other different things. Yeah. And along those long lines, do you guys have like a group chat going right now from that 2016 team or like from any of those Gator teams you played on? Cause like you mentioned, I just looked up the roster of that. That was Logan Shore, Alex Fado, AJ Puck, Jackson Quar is now with you in, in Kansas City. Dane Dunning, yourself, Sean Anderson. I mean, that's just killer, <laughs> a killer staff. Yeah, and if you guys got lost too, with you, the red. Yeah, yeah, right. And if you're all leaning on each other, then how, how much are you still leaning on each other? Even though you know you guys have gone all over the baseball map since. Yeah, I mean, we all, most of us, all still talk. I mean. You know, AJ lives here in Tampa. I talked to Shore, you know, quite a bit. Fido's in Tampa. And, you know, we all we all still talk. And we all still see each other. A lot of us live here in Tampa, so we get to see each other quite a bit. There you go. All right. So looking forward to 2019, um, you know, you like you said, you've been to Idaho Falls. You've been with Lexington. You've gotten a taste of that. But you're going to step on a professional baseball mound for the first time. Uh, what do you think that experience is going to be like? And when you even envision it now, just, you know, gearing up for long toss and all that, uh, what do you, ex- what are your expectations and what are you going to be working on? Do you think uh, come April? Yeah, you know, I'm just looking forward to just having a good, you know, healthy, uh, healthy 2019. And obviously it's going to be a little bit different starting on five days rest, but I'm looking forward to it. And like you said, every, you know, every time I, I go on throw. It's you know, it's another day closer to spring training and another day to getting on the mound. So, just really looking forward to getting on the mound. And you know, somebody said by working on something, the changeup is going to be huge this year. And you know, changing you know probably into the forcing um, fastball as well. So I have two two different variations of that plus a changeup, and you know, work on the change or the uh, command as well. Always have that, and just get out there and have a great year. Brady, a couple more before we get you out of here. Um, say you head to you know Lexington or Wilmington or wherever based on you know who else is in that league or and what level you end up at. There are a lot of those guys that you saw in college uh, in the same dugout or, or thrown aside you uh, getting ready for games or uh, in the clubhouse, whatever it is. Who are you most excited to come across either in the batter's box or on the mound opposite you, a former teammate that you most want to face in pro ball? Ooh, wow. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think who I would play play against. I always loved facing India. I don't know if I don't know full cross pass. I don't know where their high A is or low A or any of that is. Um, you know anybody from Florida? We were all <laughs> something cool about the team is we were all good friends. I mean everybody liked each other. So 
it was always fun in scrimmages. We'd always, you know, we'd always compete like crazy against each other. So anybody, anybody from that team or anybody from the SEC, I feel like we all know each other. <laughs> all right, man. Last thing for you. Um, one of the uh, the final uh, lines in your MLB pipeline bio is uh, your competitiveness is off the charts. So I have to ask you: when you go home over the off season, how do you feed that? What's the thing you get most competitive about over the off season? Are you a you go to the bowling alley? Or are you somebody who just tries to crush your family members at cards? What do you do over the off season? No, I, I play golf quite a bit. Okay, and I swing as hard as I can, and when it doesn't go straight the worst thing in the world <laughs> but you know we we go out there as a you know a group of guys and you know compete against each other put some bets on it and stuff like that so it's always good fun when we go out there otherwise no, 100 percent of every swing i've ever taken in golf swing hard and it doesn't go straight yeah right what, what's yeah, your handicap yeah. rating uh it's like a 12 or something not okay. great i ask as if i know exactly what that usually translates i feel like the, the smaller the number the better but i honestly couldn't tell you one way or another so Sounds like it would be better than uh, Tyler and my handicap combined, I would say. That. <laughs> <laughs> Brady Singer is the top prospect in the Kansas City Royals organization. Last year's 18th overall selection in the first round of the Major League Baseball first-year player draft, and he is on Twitter at Singer 51 You can catch him this year in the Royal system wherever you find him, in, uh, in low A or high A or elsewhere. Uh, Brady, congrats on all the, uh, all the success already in your pro career and getting out on the mound there in, uh, in next month. Uh, enjoy every minute, man. We'll be following you as the season goes along. Thanks for the time. Yeah, thanks guys for having me on. It has been quite some time since we've been graced with the presence of Benjamin Hill, and uh, no longer do we have to wait as Ben joins us for the first episode of 2019. Welcome, man. Happy New Year. Hey, Happy New Year, Tyler, and Happy New Year, Sam Dykstra, sitting to my right. Happy New Year, Ben. Yeah, it has been a while. Uh... Tell us about all the places you've been. You've been all yeah, over. I mean, in my life, I mean, I was born, I was born in Cleveland, <laughs> no, no, Ohio. Cut forward. To were you really? 2018. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, no, he's no, interested. No, 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 we're not going to learn he's interested. little things yeah. about like, who your first grade teacher was. Oh, I just need Mrs. This. Galloway. Okay, great. <laughs> I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, but um, we, my parents lived in Ravenna, which is a town about an hour away from Cleveland. Uh, but give it, give this uh, in relation to Midwest League geography. How close uh, is that to like Lake County? Uh, it, that would be the. It, it's a little closer to Akron, and the closest okay. team Ravenna is to is um, the Mahoning Valley Scrappers. Oh, okay. okay. So if I had actually grown up there, I would have gone as a uh, as a lad to uh, Mahoning Valley Scrappers, <laughs> Scrappers games. Fan. But anyway, I know Sam's already annoyed with this. Um, we we have to keep it moving. And so where I've been, uh, well, we last spoke uh, at the winter meetings in uh, Las Vegas, and uh, from there I visited friends in San Francisco, and then I went to Mexico and spent four days on a beach. Uh, at Bahia de la Luna Resort, which I'd recommend. Which is on the Pacific side or the Gulf side? Uh, Pacific side. Okay. Uh, I flew into Huatoco Airport. It's in the state of Oaxaca, which I still can't pronounce uh, correctly. Uh, but I had a good time there. Then came back for the holidays and uh, did a lot of holiday running around, as we all probably did. And uh, moved to a new apartment before all those travels, uh, one floor below. But I have a one-bedroom now instead of a studio, so I'm uh, moving on up in the world. And non-New so, York folk, that's a huge deal. It really is a huge deal. I'm in apartment 3E now, so if anyone you know, update your one, uh, yeah, one you there, you got <laughs> yeah, update your address books. Uh, yeah, so I've been I've been around, but uh, you know I I, uh, I was gonna say I missed I did miss work I did miss work and I missed you guys. So here we are. Well, here we are, and uh, we got a bunch to cover. There are uh, a few new ballparks opening in 2019. Was that this year that we didn't have any new ballparks open? Correct. So we're coming off of a year where we had no, this, nothing. 
this year we did. We had or was one. That last year in 2018 we had one ballpark. <laughs> Everything's already running together. Five seasons in with this job, I'm already losing perspective on time. Wasn't there a season? Was it 2017 in which we had no new ballparks open? 2017 would have been the first t- season. Oh right, but we had a delayed opening. But we had Hartford, which was Correct. slated for 2016 got pushed to 2017 so kept the sleep uh kept the streak going uh that inspired an article of mine about a year or two ago of like when was the last season that a minor league ballpark didn't open and it went deep into the 80s and then it just got ridiculously hard to keep track of because then we were dealing with ballparks for teams that are since totally defunct right and people be like wait the main guide stadium opened in like 1983 (laughs) so yeah josh jackson yeah (laughs) I know. People. <laughs> yeah. People and scare quotes. <laughs> uh, so, or whatever the case was. Uh, so it is a remarkable streak going back, um, you know, 30 plus, cl- close to 40 years of at least one ballpark opening uh, in the minor leagues per season. Uh, that almost ended in 2017, but because Hartford got, got delayed, uh, there was Hartford last year and just Augusta last year. Or, uh, Hartford in 2017, just Augusta last year. Uh, but we're tick- we're on the uptick now. 2019 we have three uh, new ballparks coming as we've talked about all those teams and their recent uh, you know name unveilings and whatnot we have uh, you know new ballparks in Fayetteville Las Vegas and Amarillo in 2019 and then 2020 if all goes according to plan knock knock yeah. uh, we'll have four ball- new ballparks and I have a new batting around column which is a uh, a regular offseason column I do which I had I didn't do yet this offseason because I was more immersed in the uh, retrospective stuff after having been to every minor league ballpark but uh for the new year i th- thought it'd be a good good time to write a, a batting around and to uh you know to look forward to what's coming you know that's what we do in new year so of course we have these three new ballparks in 2019 but we have four in 2020 which you know as we've learned with minor league baseball stadiums you know hartford biloxi el paso sometimes things don't go as planned but right now we have four on the docket to open for 2020 and uh wanted uh every level of play I mean, not not short seasons, but we have a Class A, a Class A advanced, a Double A, and a Triple A. And I, I think most that. that's pretty good. Yeah, and I think most fans. I didn't really realize it until I was writing it. I was like, "Wow, we have that many!" And wow, it's spread out like that. Mm. Um, so it's interesting. Triple A. I, I don't think we've really covered this much. I feel it's a little under the radar that that Wichita, Kansas, is uh, this far advanced in having a new. Uh, hosting a, a Pacific Coast League team in 2020. And uh, that team would be the relocating uh, New Orleans baby cakes, moving from New Orleans to Wichita, Kansas, in a new ballpark. So that process is underway, and uh, construction should start soon. They're going to be on a, uh, a a tight timeline, for sure, yeah. to open for 2020. Um, Tyler, you're, you'll be interested in this. Um, there's going to be a Name the Team contest coming up for Wichita. And once the name is picked, uh, Todd Radom. I we'll, saw that. Will uh, friend of the podcast, yeah. Todd Radom. Yeah, uh, on the show before. He's been on the show. I did an article about him after meeting him at the winter meetings a few years ago. He's kind of a legend in the industry. Doesn't do too much minor league work, so I thought that was pretty cool. They already have him tapped to do that for a uh, a new Wichita team in 2020. Of course, Wichita had uh, minor league baseball as recently as 2007. I want to say. Uh, the Wichita Wranglers in the Texas League, who became the Northwest Arkansas Naturals. And uh, Wichita Wranglers played at Lawrence Dumont Stadium, which was 80-some years old. It got just got demolished, and the new ballpark is going to be in that same location that Lawrence Dumont was. So there's going to be a history of minor league baseball on that site, even if it's a new facility. And then looking forward through the – you know, going further with this story, there is nothing set in stone. But, you know, I've been reading local media reports, and it looks like – with the New Orleans AAA baby cakes moving to Wichita that 
baseball could stay in the New Orleans market in the form of a double Southern League team. So mm. stay tuned. Uh, stay tuned for that. Yeah. So there would be more movement around the Southern League because one of the other teams you have here that's getting a new stadium next next year is obviously in North Madison, Alabama, with Mobile Bay Bears moving. Right. So another new another new ballpark in uh, 2020, and we've certainly. Uh, Covered the Rocket City Trash Pandas, who've right. already this is they're way ahead of the rebranding or the uh, name the team game. They've already I was announced. I'm going to ask you that. Do you can you think of another time in which a team? I mean, they were almost two calendar years away from opening day when they announced that identity. Can you think of another time when that's happened? I can't, and I think the team. I think what happened is the team, the ownership, thought they might be able to be on a more accelerated timeline. Uh, when they first started the process to open in 2019. So I think they went down the road with creating an identity. And then once they went so far down the road, even though the construction wouldn't be ready for 2019 and the new stadium process, they just went ahead and announced it. But it is strange to have simultaneously the Mobile Bay Bears playing in a lame duck season in 2019 and the team that will replace them already being an entity selling merchandise, the Rocket City Trash Pan. But they will play in a new ballpark in North Madison, Alabama, uh, opening in 2020, which is in the greater Huntsville region. And, of course, Huntsville uh, had a team as recently as, uh, what, 2015 in the form of the Huntsville Stars. But that was uh, Joe Davis Stadium, a uh, facility that could no longer really cut the mustard uh, in terms of uh, meeting the standards of minor league baseball. So it's kind of funny how that works. Huntsville Stars go to Biloxi, and then a few years later, the Huntsville market gets a team, you know, in the na- neighboring North Madison uh, in a new ballpark. And I think we see that a lot with ballparks. In a lot of the cases, it's not the market. It's the ballpark. Sometimes it's the market. But uh, I mean, you know, we just said that with Wichita, essentially. Right. Same thing with Wichita. They, the Wranglers were in an 80-year-old facility. Uh, it was no longer really working there for affiliated. They left and now uh, going back to that market at a level up in a new ballpark. Mm-hmm. So um, and, and there you go with that. Uh, I think um, – when we're going down to a new Class A advanced stadium in 2020, uh, I think this is the one that is – construction hasn't started. So uh, let's you know knock on wood and hope this works out. The Potomac Nationals have been trying to get out of the Fitz, Fitz Stadium for – I feel like as long as I've been here, <laughs> right? Been here since 2012. As yeah. basically as long basically as since I've the had the construction of Fitzner Stadium, I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, you know, Art Silber, the longtime owner of that team, is has just tried so many different strategies, and of course, operating in the Metro DC area, I think, has been tough with land and uh, you know, getting the land and the funding and everything. Um, so they have an agreement, the Potomac Nationals, with Fredericksburg, Virginia, which you may remember almost landed the Hagerstown Suns four or five years ago. Uh, that fell through. But Fredericksburg, which is about 30 miles south of where the Potomac Nationals currently play in Woodbridge, Virginia, uh, are set to have a stadium in 2024, the Potomac Nationals. Um, that's an interesting one in that the team or the, the ownership um, – will pay for the stadium and then the city will be an anchor tenant. That's kind of reverse of what we usually see in the funding arrangements where it's usually the city or a county paying for a ballpark and then the team paying rent and being an anchor tenant. This would be the other way around. Uh, construction has not started yet, so um, they're really going to have to get moving to make 2019 truly the last year at the Fitz. And I mean, this might be getting even more ahead of ourselves here, but um, with these other ones – like you said, Rocket City, we already know the, the team name. Wichita, we know that they're going to have a name in the team contest. Is Potomac going to change to celebrate the move? Or because it's Potomac, it's not specific to yeah. a place, it's a region. Yeah, I don't know what their plan is, whether to go with Fredericksburg in the name or they can just 
keep Potomac, if they're going to keep you know just the parent club name of Nationals or totally different branding, I think that's down the line. Um, so we'll see how that one goes. I think that is the one that needs the most to happen in order to happen in 2020. But you know. There's a Fredericksburg baseball Twitter page, and they're taking they're they're signing up season ticket holders for 2020. They're going, um, you know, full speed ahead as much as they can. But um, obviously, they need to need to get going on this um, now that we're in 2019 to have a new ballpark uh, for opening day 2020. Right. One thing that is a little confusing about that franchise is uh, the fact that there is a Potomac, Maryland. And the Potomac Nationals are not located there. They are in Woodbridge, Virginia, which is 30 miles away. So that's always been a little perplexing if you're not somebody who's familiar with uh, that area. But we'll see um, what the future holds in store for the Frederick slash Potomac slash whatever's. Um, the uh, Pawtucket Red Sox, Ben, um, that's been a, a saga as far as ballpark questions have gone for a long time as well. They were going to build a waterfront ballpark, and then they were going to build a, a ballpark that was very Fenway inspired, and they were going to do this, and they were going to do that. The latest thing is a relocation plan to uh, Worcester, Massachusetts, which would be theoretically set to open in 2021 it looks like that is is probably on track right now what's the latest with uh with Worcester and Pawtucket yeah, Worcester is looking very solid to be ready for 2021. Uh, that's the only one I'm aware of when we're looking beyond 2020 to 2021. Um, you know, they've approved financing um, you know through city council and you, you know when they announced when they first announced the move back in August clearly everyone all the key players were on board and then once it was announced they're just moving straight ahead they have the architect uh they have the project manager they have all the funding in place uh they should be starting uh construction you know this you know this spring or summer and it looks like they're 100 percent uh, ready to go well you don't want to say 100 percent, but they're on track at this current moment for 2021 so that is so it looks like Pawtucket will have uh two years remaining at mccoy stadium which are going to be um bittersweet i was gonna say sad i'll just say sad yeah not not you know i get it it's exciting to have a new ballpark and all that kind of stuff but somebody who had literal birthday parties at mccoy stadium growing up it's gonna be a sad moment to see that place yeah and sam you know better than us um you know just what a uh, an emotional nostalgic hold that ballpark has for mm-hmm. so many in that region it's uh, rhode island's only you know affiliated team that ballpark ballpark itself is 70 something years old uh, you know cited the longest game in professional baseball history uh, back in 1981 right. um, home of uh, the Boston's AAA team since 1973 um, and people in that region love it and are very sad to see it go and bittersweet you know with an emphasis for some people certainly on bitter i think a lot of people <laughs> are uh, upset with that in in the region um, but it, i don't know this is uh, what's happening right i mean they had they have struggled in terms of attendance for years now. It's not like, you know, it's nostalgic, which can poison our, our minds at times. I get that. Um, but, yeah, it, you know, it, this is how I've always framed all these other stories we have about, you know, even the team moving, uh, you know, from the Fitz to, to, to Fredericksburg, Fred, Fredericksburg to some of you at home. That might not mean much, but there are going to be people around Woodbridge, Virginia, to, to whom that means a lot. Um, even if it's going 30 miles away, you know, people can drive from Pawtucket to Worcester fairly easily. I, I used to have to drive through Worcester to get to Pawtucket. Um, it's certainly doable, but it, it's so much different when it was literally in your backyard. It's a place you grew up. It's a place you watched your kids grow up. Uh, McCoy, it's famous for letting down the, the buckets to get guys to sign balls at, at the field level, stuff like that. All that's going to be going away uh, for a flashy new thing. So, you know, we'll see what the flashy new thing is going to eventually look like. And once that's all settled. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's exciting on one hand to see, you know, 
Worcester become more into focus and them get all, you know, they they get all of their ducks in a row. Um, but yeah, when the the last day at McCoy comes, that'll certainly be a sad day, and hopefully it's one. Uh, I can be at for sure. Yeah, and then McCoy still might have a future after the Paw Sox leave. Uh, what that future yeah, may right. be, we don't know. There's been talking of affiliated team coming in, but obviously when you look at what leagues fall in the geographic footprint as well as the you know other teams needing to waive <laughs> territorial rights. Right. It would need to be uh, the Eastern League and the New York Penn League. Yeah, so there would be issues with getting affiliated in there. Uh, New York Penn League would make sense, but New York Penn League already has a – uh, Boston, the Boston affiliate in that league is Lowell, which is which is in Massachusetts. Not want to give that up. So it's hard to see Lowell losing their Red Sox affiliation. We can we can you know yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how this we'll this see how this yeah. develops. But for right now, we mentioned three new ballparks in 2019, four in 2020, uh, one that we didn't mention in 2020 yet, uh, and it's the only non-relocating team in, of the quartet in 2020. Canapolis, uh, new ballpark mm-hmm. um, in downtown. Right now, they have a ballpark that's uh, not downtown, but that region in a way is just, you know, as Charlotte just grows and grows and now Kannapolis is growing and growing. It's a really fast growing area. They're really trying to develop Kannapolis downtown proper. So, um, you know, the uh, Kannapolis Intimidators will be an anchor tenant as part of this massive downtown uh, development in Kannapolis. And they they are very much on track for a new ballpark in 2020. You might not have an answer to this. It literally just hit me, though, since you brought up Charlotte. The White Sox have affiliates in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, and Charlotte. Yeah, they're the, that the team in Chicago is yeah. so thoroughly based in North Carolina. Yeah, I don't know why that is, but it's been the case for quite some time. Yeah, is I mean, uh, there's something to be said for Charlotte has great facilities. Canapolis is getting a new ballpark. Winston Salem has pretty good facilities. Yeah, itself. one of the best in the Carolina. League. Yeah, so I'm sure it's just limited movement and all that, but I don't know. That's just interesting. That's something we should look into at some point. Yeah, it's interesting. Maybe if you uh, can't get proximity to where you operate as a parent club, at least get uh, proximity to your uh, your minor league teams to one another. It's uh, the next best thing. I've often wondered what the, the worst travel um, system is. I know uh, Josh Jackson and I had a conversation about this in spring training last year. We were talking about teams that have affiliates all over the place. I know uh, the San Francisco Giants kind of jumped out as one of those ones that's really rough because they had uh, Augusta for low A, high A in San Jose, double A in Richmond, and triple A in Sacramento. So you're going coast to coast for every trip at those levels. But it'd be interesting to see um, what in their their low are their um class a short season affiliates in salem kaiser in oregon so that's like five straight levels of coast-to-coast trips um it'd be interesting to see what uh what the actual worst is we're just game planning future stories from milb.com yeah, no. yeah that's know. right and it would be, be cool. on the west coast almost certainly because there's just not enough minor leagues to yeah. have a minor league system in yeah. close proximity so uh portions of the midwest and certainly the northeast um Know, are spoiled with uh, such a um, you know cluster of different minor leagues all in close proximity to where the parent club is, and you just don't have that on the West Coast. You have the California League. Well, you know, we, we yeah, yeah we, we'll right. save we'll save it we'll save it. But uh, total travel distances for prospects. I'm gonna put that on the to do list for story ideas. Benjamin Hill uh, <laughs> on the site right now is batting around. Ben, we did um, resolutions uh, for uh, systems in uh, three strikes this week. Um, give us some of your resolutions for minor league baseball clubs in 2019 there's a lot of cool stuff coming up um it's going to be a, an over doubling of the uh, copa de la diversion program this year which is one of the most uh, innovative um promotional initiatives that minor league baseball has done in recent years like you talked about with the the opening of new ballparks um that's some pretty cool stuff what are what are some of the resolutions that you've got for minor league clubs this year you know i'd say for clubs this is a general a little vague but you know if 
But you kind of have to be general and vague when you're talking about something that can apply to 160 different entities. Um, you know, but what I would say um, is that uh, I think every single team, you know, teams have, are putting their promo schedules together right now. Some of them already have them finalized. But I think every team should have the resolution to do one promotion that has truly never been done before. Mm. Take a risk and just do something, whether it's absurd, whether it's based on a passion of someone in the front office or a group of people in the front office, uh, take a risk. Because especially now with the internet, um, you know, you can really build some traction. And even if it doesn't translate to a huge night at the gate, you can get a lot of attention for your team by just doing something that no one has seen before. And if you really do blow it out, uh, you can really establish a reputation as someone who takes risks and does things that um, other teams don't do. I mean, we've talked about Fresno a lot because they're always created with promos. But, you know, like last year, they, they were the only team that said, you know what, we want to do something with coming to America. And they had a a huge hit with celebrating coming to America. So I think, you know, don't just look at the most obvious things, um, you know, pe- the pop culture anniversaries and whatnot. Um, you know, think to yourself, what, you know, do we like as a staff or what is something we can do because it's, you know, regional or specific to us or whatever the case. But I feel like every team, if we're talking about minor league baseball and how minor league baseball repre- represents America through each team being a unique reflection of where they operate, I think the promo schedule needs to reflect that. And I know di- budgets are different and strategies are different and a lot of teams like to be conservative. Some don't. But I think that would be my resolution for every team is one thing you've got, you know, if you're a full season club, you got 70 dates on the calendar. Do something that you can definitively say no other team has done this. That, All that's, I'm that's saying it. is nobody has done a the show before the show night <laughs> or even an MILB.com night. So that's those true. are free ideas out there for you, you jerks. 160 of you. Yeah. <laughs> any, any one of you could take. We will accept plane tickets to your locale. I was just thinking. Sam and Ben and I will sign autographs. We'll bring Kelsey and Josh along. Yeah, you know? I was just thinking it's too bad Hawaii doesn't have a PCL team anymore. Yeah, I know. That would have been perfect. But yeah. We'll accept anywhere. We're, we're up for exploring. <laughs> we'll, go, we'll go anywhere that uh, preferably has, you know, like a, a beachfront um, hotel. Resort, I guess, really is what we would – we would need sam only takes a certain color m&m there's a whole there's a whole laundry list we're like a touring uh, rock band in the 1970s yes um but uh yeah that, uh, yeah get in touch we'll, we'll send you our riders yeah we have more riders than the rodeo <laughs> podcast at milb.com feel free feel free to reach out um, ben what else is coming up uh to the site or to the blog or elsewhere well, you know what um you know being gone out of the office for so long uh it was a uh a mighty struggle just to write this batting around column yesterday on the first day in the office uh, as I'm getting caught up with lots of odds and ends, but uh, there is a lot more to come. And I think in a day or two, I will have a lot better idea of uh, what's coming up in the future. You know, um, I'm definitely going to update a blog post I did last year of all the defunct uh ballparks I've visited uh heading into last season there were 13 defunct minor league ballparks I visited and guess what now I can add three to that list because uh Las Vegas Cashman Field uh Bowie's Creek (laughs) is now is now defunct University we hardly knew you yeah absolutely and um what's the other one where did uh oh Las Vegas yeah no no I said that one Las Vegas yeah Bowie's Creek and uh Amarillo but that's but that was San Antonio man so it's just two no there's three I'm gonna look into oh no uh Helena 
Helena. Yes, yes, you got it. That was all part of that domino series of maneuvers. That's yes. why I was like, oh, yeah, so right. uh, update that blog po- blog post with the, the three new defunct stadiums, uh, Helena, Las Vegas, Cashman Field, and uh, Bowie's Creek. We hardly knew you two years in Bowie's Creek. And, uh, you know, and, and a resolution for me, you know, I hope in a attainable one is to now that i finally hit the milestone last year of having been to every ballpark to keep that up because with the calendar page turning i now have not been to every minor league ballpark and uh gotta make it to amarillo gotta make it to fayetteville and uh gotta make it back to las vegas for that i was gonna say from now on are you just gonna add the new ballparks every year or are those gonna be incorporated in your trips i would i would expect so so, because for as long as i do this i want to at the end end of every year say I've, I've been everywhere so that is uh that is uh, one of my personal work goals and, and another one you know personal and professional is you know to get in better shape I've, i think i've let my let myself slip a little bit and uh but you know teams still ask me to you know do between inning contests and race and uh i have been just so exhausted after certain between inning contests and wondering how long i can do it and uh you know i'm not that old so um i need to get in shape for the season and not completely embarrass myself and uh, still look like a young man out there when i'm racing a t-rex against on a ribbon board or something like that <laughs> he's benjamin Hill. you can find him on twitter at ben's biz uh batting around is up on the site right now and uh ben we'll talk to you next week man welcome back thank you it's good to be back uh, good to talk to you guys and we're gonna all have a banner 2019 And that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. Big thanks to Brady Singer, who, again, you can find on Twitter at bsinger51. And uh, you can go back and watch that video of him uh, giving the gift to his parents. If you didn't get a chance to see that around Christmas time, it is very, very cool. And uh, to all of you, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever you celebrate. Hope it was a good one. Hope the start to your 2019 was fantastic. What would you do for uh, for the holidays? Uh, I went all over the place. I drove down to Richmond, Virginia. Uh, drove past the Bowie Bay Sox Stadium, waved. I don't know if anybody saw me, but I did wave. Prince George's? Yeah. Uh, drove past the Aberdeen Ironbird Stadium as well. Um, got a small tour, I guess, of the Baltimore Orioles system, which circling back to what we were saying about like the longest distance traveled for prospects, that's got to be the shortest. Yeah, right? yeah, that's a good uh, – I think system. I really am going to do that story. By the way, yeah, that'd be yeah, that would be a lot of fun before the season starts. Yeah, they've um, got to be because they've got uh, within those four levels. They've got Delmarva Class A short season or uh, Aberdeen Class A short season. Delmarva, which is pretty close by. Delmarva, I did not know this until recently, um, but is a a uh, is it, isn't that a portmanteau? It's not an acronym. Isn't that a portmanteau? Delmarva, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia. Yes. Um, is that what? That, I can't remember. Um, and oh, then, well, uh, is that? Yeah, I'm not sure. Frederick at Class A Advanced, Frederick, Maryland, Bowie at Double A, Norfolk, Virginia at Triple A. That's got to be the longest trip there is like four hours. Yeah, no, that's I just very made that close. Up. It might not be four hours, <laughs> but they're uh, but they're all very close. That's the that's the the point. Yep. Um, so drove past a lot of the O system. Um, was in Richmond for two days, seeing my dad's side of the family. Uh, Immediately turned it around the Sunday before Christmas, drove back up, got dropped off in Brooklyn, uh, got my car, drove up to Massachusetts to be with my family uh, and my sister, who is a nurse and uh, does you know very important work. And unfortunately, she had to work Christmas Day, um, so she didn't get to come with us to Virginia. But we spent Christmas morning at her house with you know my brother-in-law and my nephew, which was a lot of fun. Uh, his second birthday, so that's exciting. Um, or second Christmas, excuse me. 
And yeah, so that that was pretty much it. Came back to New York for New Year's Eve. Uh, had a little shindig at my place, um, which was filled with about eight people uh, because I do live by myself. So not a lot of space with eight filled, eight people filled it. And uh, yeah, it was fun. You were actually in New York. We just missed each other. We did. Yeah. yeah, I was there. Uh, I was on the road for like two straight weeks. Had a basketball road trip to Washington State. Flew back to Denver that day, but just hung around at the airport, went straight out to New York. I was in New York for like five days, then flew to Omaha, Nebraska, then went to uh, Western Illinois for a basketball game, then took a bus from Western Illinois to St. Louis, flew home on New Year's Eve. So I was gone for like 11 days, and uh, thankfully my dog recognized me when I got home. But <laughs> now we're home for like 10 days, which is unheard of for this season of ours. Um, but, yeah, I was in New York for uh, for Christmas and uh, was back here for New Year's and didn't really do much, thankfully. Went over to my uh, – my best friend's uh mom's house and hung out with all their family which was cool um that was about it i'm you know i'm 33 i wasn't even cool when i was 23 like i didn't even want to go out and do wild things at 23 i was like why don't we stay in and we can watch movies um i've never been cool so i didn't have a rocking new year's eve because i never had them yeah i mean <laughs> I, as i've gotten older uh the amount of things i'm willing to do on new year's eve has gone down yeah, uh, almost exponentially. That's uh, definitely the holiday so like, that I feel like recedes fastest from like, let's go out and get crazy. Like, I feel like people still go out and get crazy for St. Patrick's Day into like their mid to late 30s if they want to. But for whatever reason, I feel like New Year's Eve is the first one that people are like, yeah, I don't have to deal with that. Maybe behind Halloween. Yeah, uh, Halloween is probably because it's that starts around like 17. Yeah. Where you don't get dressed up. Well, even then, probably around 14, where you don't go trick-or-treating anymore. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I mean, that's part of the reason why I hosted this year. It wasn't because, like, oh, I'm the one who's – you're going to have the crazy house party at. It's like it's I like kind of want to just stay the here. of your hosting. Right. And <laughs> everybody fills that night with way too much pressure and all that kind of stuff. Let me be the place you come to where it's just all, it's all hanging out. Uh, I made mold cider. And, you know, we'll count down together and then everybody can sleep by 1230. Yeah. So you I like it. Nice work, Sam. Sam Dyche's no pressure Eve. (laughs) (laughs) Dick Clark can have the rock in New Year's Eve. It's Sam Dyche's no pressure. No pressure Eve. I really wish that that joke would stick in my head for next December 31st. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could bring that out as a callback. Sam Dyche's no pressure Eve. Um, Well, wherever you are, we hope you had a terrific holiday season and a fantastic start to 2019. Um, You can get in touch with us, podcast at MILB.com. We will be evaluating um, all of the pitches that we get from front offices across the country as to who wants to bring us in to honor us for the very first the show before the show night at an MILB game this year. I'm sure I haven't checked the email. I'm sure they're rolling in. Even though we haven't released this podcast yet, I'm sure they're just rolling in as of right now. People just caught yeah. the spirit of us talking about it, and they were like, yeah, we, we should have those guys out. Yeah. Why don't we do that? Why have we not done that yet? Why don't we do it every year? So I'm betting those are probably rolling in uh, as we speak. And um, that'll be great. So maybe we'll catch you at a minor league ballpark near you at some point this season. <laughs> um, or maybe not. Uh, for Sam Dykstra, my name is Tyler Ma. We'll be back with you next week on the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. Talk to you then. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, 
or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 